right there. If you uh, want to join in uh, to where we're going to be this morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. So uh, turn in your Bibles if you want to follow along. If not, I will read. We'll be in a couple different places, Old Testament, New Testament, back to new, old, uh, we'll be all over the place, but uh, having some fun. So Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, actually we're going to jump right in, starting in verse 11. So here we go, by faith. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I love that phrase there in the middle of verse 11. It says that she conceived, quote, even when she was past age. Um, Past age, uh, here's the context. So Abraham... And Sarah had a child, and the child's name was Isaac. And Isaac wasn't born to Abraham and Sarah until Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Okay, not uh, your typical child-rearing ages as we would normally think about it. So Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, and at that point they have the child of the promise. His name is Isaac, right? And uh, in order for a a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a child, uh, there's something needed in that equation to make that happen. And and what's needed is, we'll call it an outside power. Because um, when you're 190, like your own biological power isn't enough to produce a child. And so in that circumstance, in this circumstance with Sarah... Um, there's an outside power that is going to be needed for her to conceive and to grow and to birth this child. Outside power. Now, the contrast to that are some of the circumstances of our lives that we look at them and we size them up and we think, regarding the circumstances, we think, I got this. Right? I got this circumstances means you look at it, you see the difficulty level, you see the challenge, And then you see your own gifting and your own energy and your own abilities and you say, I can handle this on my own, right? And there's all sorts of things in our lives that we can handle, we think, on our own. Dinner, you got to make dinner tomorrow night. You got this. You can figure it out, right? You got to get the kids to baseball practice. You can figure, you can figure out your schedule and get your kids to practice. Like, you got this. There's lots of things in our lives where we look at them and we think we can handle this on our own. But when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90 and they haven't yet given birth to a child yet, that is not a I got this kind of situation. That is a God we need you situation. And the thing as we read in the scriptures, like all the way through from the beginning to the end, what God loves to do is he loves to invite his sons and his daughters into situations where we need him. Now, what we like is we like to be um, in situations where we got this. Wait, we're, we're happy with that. We're quite content with that because we know how to schedule our lives and to make the plan and to accomplish the thing and move on to the next thing. It fits inside of our box. We got this. We love that. But God regularly loves to call his people into situations where we don't got this, but we recognize that we need him. We need his outside power flowing in us and through us in order to do the thing that he's called us to. 
Every single thing that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, everything that these individuals were a part of and accomplished were not, I got this situations. They were, God, we need you situations. And God's power needed to flow in in order to see these things happen. Now, by faith, right, Sarah received power to conceive. It was faith that gave her the power to do the thing that she could not do on her own. Get pregnant, birth a child, all the things that go with that. So, so what faith is, is faith is the mechanism that connects us to God's power so that his power can come from the outside, outside of us, and flow into us, into all the places where we need it to flow. Right? How many of you guys made coffee this morning? Any coffee drinkers? You made your own. Some of you guys bought your coffee, but some of you made your own, right? So your coffee maker is dependent upon power from outside of it to make you the cup of coffee that you drank this morning. It doesn't have the power inside of it to make the coffee. It's dependent on power outside of it. And the mechanism that connects the coffee maker to the power, electricity, is a cord. And you take the cord and you plug it into the power source, and that's what makes the power go from its source to the place where you need it, the coffee maker, right? Now this morning, if you wanted to amend that equation a little bit and say, no, I'm going to make coffee this morning, but I'm not going to plug it into the power source. I'm just going to get the coffee maker close to the power source, right? You could spend hours trying to figure out how to make that coffee pot run with power when you're not connected, You could actually take the coffee pot that's unplugged from the power source, you could put it right next to the outlet so that the coffee pot is touching the outlet. The power is right there. The coffee pot is right here. And still, the coffee pot isn't going to receive any power from the source. Why? Because the way that it gets connected is not just by being in proximity to it, but by being plugged in to the source. Faith is the thing that plugs us into God's power so that his power can actually move into our situations. Without faith, none of the power makes it into us and into the things that God has called us to. Faith plugs us in. So by faith, Sarah plugs into a power source outside of herself, which is God, and then God's power flows in her and through her and at 90 years old and her husband 100 they conceive a child verse 12 therefore from one man it's abraham and him as good as dead i don't know if you're ever describing somebody like hey who's that person that you were talking to this morning you're like which one and the person says oh that one who's as good as dead Okay? I don't know, like this descriptive language is not something that would fit in our maybe more sensitive culture. We, we would never describe somebody as, oh, the one who's nearly dead, right? But the point here is that Abraham is 100 years old. 100-year-olds don't normally have kids, right? We're just, we're just showing the circumstances of the story here for what they are so that we can see the power that flows from the outside in, that this is an outside-in thing, not an inside-out. They're not, they're not, I got this in this situation. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
In this language here, right, that Abraham and Sarah would have offspring that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. This is a hearkening back to language in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. We've talked about Genesis 12 quite a bit, but that's the place where God says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation of people. That means a lot of offspring. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God reiterates his covenant with Abraham and he says this. Genesis 15 verse 6. This is the language we just read in Hebrews 11. Genesis 15 5 actually says this. And God brought Abraham outside, outside of the tent and said, Abraham, look towards the heavens and go ahead and try to number the stars. If you are able to number them, then God said, so shall your offspring be. Then in response to God's promise that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, which are uncountable. Verse 6, And Abraham believed the Lord. He had faith. He trusted him. He's plugging in to the outside power source that God is going to do this in and through him and his family. And Abraham believed the Lord, plugging in, and God counted it to Abram as righteousness. So the context when, of the story when Abraham first receives this promise from God that he was going to have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, Abraham is 75 years old and his wife Sarah is 65 years old. Remember I said they didn't have the child Isaac until Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. So that's 25 years from the time God's promise was given of offspring to the time when it was fulfilled. 25 years from promise to fulfillment regarding the birth of a child or some children here. And at the time of the promise, Sarah is already 65, Abraham 75. Now, I don't know about you, but when I receive the promise, if I'm a 75-year-old married to a 65-year-old, we're going to have offspring I'm like, all right, God, I'm looking at my watch because the biology ain't working with us right now. And every moment that my watch is ticking away, we're working less and less and less. It is less likely, less believable, less possible with every ticking of the second hand on my watch that this thing actually isn't going to happen, right? Um, Looking at my watch and Abraham and Sarah are looking at their watch and God says, you can keep looking, but it's going to be 25 years until this happens. God wants Abraham and Sarah to get to the place where you look at Abram and you think he's as good as dead. And you look at Sarah and you think, impossible. Ain't going to happen through these two. God actually wants to get to that place. Now why? Why does God want to do it this way? Because from our vantage point, Right? 75-year-old, 65-year-old, waiting 25 years. Some point in that 25 years, we're thinking, God, you made a mistake, chose the wrong couple. God, you um, forgot about the promise that you gave them. You're busily attending to other things, but we're trying to remind him, God, remember what you said here? Doesn't make sense to us. Seems like God is making a mistake. But regarding mistakes in God... Isaiah the prophet would say this, Isaiah 55, verse 8. And for those of us who are intent on living by faith, maybe these could be our life verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God isn't making a mistake by calling an elderly couple and giving them the promise of children that will become a nation. He's doing it on purpose. He's not making a mistake by waiting 25 years with that elderly couple before they have their first child. He's doing it on purpose. Because he know, his thoughts are higher than ours and his ways are higher. What in the world is he up to? Well, can I go speculative with you for just a little bit? Can we speculate? Sometimes it's helpful and interesting to theologically speculate. I think you'll see that maybe we're on firm ground here. Why is God doing it this way? Well, let's dig in. This will make sense in about five minutes, but please trust the journey. Don't check out on me. Promise? Scout's honor? Whatever the thing is? Good? Okay. There's a difference between faith and wisdom. Faith, trusting God, and wisdom, knowing and understanding things, they're very different. They work together, but they in and of themselves are very, very different. So God wants to form a people that will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. They will become a mighty nation of people. And if we heard that that was God's plan to do that, and if we thought we were operating in wisdom, here's how we might advise God to go about solving that problem. With our wisdom, God, here's what you should do. And we we don't have any problem telling God what he should do, do we? No. We're pretty good at that sometimes, right? But if we're operating on wisdom and God wants to have this monstrous family that are going to be an awesome witness to the world of his goodness, here's what we would probably do. We would go out and we would find a young couple, probably 18, right, with their whole lives ahead of them, in the prime of their physical lives, And we would take that young couple and we would say, all right, we'd get them married, get them some great marriage counseling, and then we would just start popping babies out, right? We would like pop babies out in multiples if we could, triplets and doubles and doubles and triplets, maybe a quad here or there. We would just, right, if the goal is to get a bunch of people that will become a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky, get a young couple, healthy prime of their life, and let them have a slew of children, Massive amount, maybe like, maybe north of 20 if it were possible. And then with those 20 or so kids, here's the cool thing about the fact that this couple is young, is that now they have decades, Abraham and Sarah, if they were young, they would have decades to build into this family that they've created and to teach them and to advise them and to walk with them through the years, but not just their kids, but then their grandkids. And because they're so young and then their great-grandkids, right, this is how we would devise the process to get to a nation of people that are more numerous than the stars in the sky. That's how we would draw it up, because that makes sense from a pure wisdom standpoint. Now, is God for wisdom? Yes or no? The answer is yes, absolutely. God is the author of 
Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He's the one behind the narrative of Job, which is wisdom literature. All the things that James says regarding wisdom and life, God is the author of those things too. God is all about wisdom. God honors Solomon when Solomon asks for wisdom, and God says, well done, Solomon. You have asked for a beautiful thing, and he honors him, and he makes him wise. But as good as wisdom is, wisdom honors something as its head. Actually, wisdom honors several things as its head. And wisdom, honor, wisdom honors faith as its chief. Meaning, if one's going to give way to the other, wisdom is going to defer to faith when God has spoken. Wisdom will bow down to faith. Wisdom serves faith as an attendant. And when you take wisdom and disconnect it from faith, actually wisdom seeks to be wisdom and it just turns into thinking. But thinking without trusting God will always turn to scheming. You guys know what scheming is? Devising and planning and arranging and really thinking it through, getting it all mapped out. Thinking without trusting God will always result in scheming. Now, why are we talking about this in Hebrews chapter 11 regarding Sarah as an icon of faith? Here's why. Because the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. And Jewish Christians knew their Old Testament the way you know your favorite sitcom or TV show. They knew it backwards and forwards. They knew it insides and outs. They knew it thoroughly and deeply. And so while Sarah and Abraham are both honored for their faith in Hebrews chapter 11, every Jewish Christian knows that this is not their whole story regarding trusting God with their offspring that would turn into a nation. The story is actually way more complicated than this. Because in Genesis chapter 16, and every person reading this book in its original context immediately knew this. Didn't take them effort to get here. They immediately know the context of this story. In Genesis chapter 16, regarding the timeline between God's promise of offspring and the fulfillment of them having offspring, somewhere in there, Sarah got herself to thinking. Remember, wisdom and faith go together, but where you have wisdom without faith, wisdom turns into thinking, and thinking turns into scheming. Genesis chapter 16, Sarah starts scheming, and her scheming actually results in an incredible toxicity that will produce everything among God's people that he does not want to be there. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 16. I want to look at this... Real quick, right? Because there's some things here for us to grab and to catch. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Here's where Sarah starts thinking without trusting. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, because they haven't had any children yet, so their names haven't changed yet. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Okay, so they're in the 25-year gap. Abram and Sarah are looking at their watch. God, do you know what's going on here? We're getting older. We're getting older. It's, it's getting less likely with every passing day. 
And they're looking at their watch. And then Sarah starts thinking. Right? And, and when we're scheming, which is thinking without trusting God, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Sarah had borne Abram no children, and she had an Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. When we begin thinking but not trusting God, we get really good at looking at the facts of the situation. Facts get very clear and facts become the only thing that we can wrap our brain around. And right now in verse 1, Sarah is just thinking about the facts of the situation. She's not looking at the situation through the lens of trusting God and his goodness and his promises. She's not looking at the situation through the eyes of faith. She's only looking at the situation through the eyes of facts. And so when we are thinking without trusting and we're scheming, we are very factual creatures. And that's where we exist and that's where we live. And that's where Sarah is here in verse 1. Just the facts, ma'am. Just give me the facts, right? Some of you are old enough to know that reference. Okay, in verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, right? She's looking at the facts here. Now she's going to hatch a plan. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. (laughs) Interesting assessment of the facts. I don't have a child yet. God promised it. He's not here yet. So clearly here's what's going on in the greater circumstance of all things. God is preventing me from having children. Children And somehow Sarah has moved into what sometimes we call around here an orphan mentality. God is not my father. He's not for me. He's not with me. I'm alone in this. I am an orphan here. And as an orphan who's disconnected from my father, I don't know where my father is. I'm all by myself. I just got the facts. And she starts believing lies. When we're just looking at the facts, when we're just thinking without trusting, we are prone to believe lies. And Sarah is now believing lies. Verse 2 continues. The Lord's prevented me from having children. Then she says to Abram, Sarah says, Go to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Okay, so Sarah is a bustling mess of activity right now. Lots of human activity that makes sense. God's going to have a bunch of people through Abraham and his offspring, nation, numerous, numerous. It's not happened yet. Sarah's looking at the facts. I got a maidservant here. Her name's Hagar. I got a husband. Let's just, let's just match make them and stick them together. Lots of human activity going on here, but God himself, notice, is not involved in the activity. Sometimes it's said, like, we want to see where God is moving and join him in that. Sometimes what we do is we want to create human-induced activity and invite God into that. Well, this is the kind of thing that God is, God doesn't want any part of this. Because it's not according to his plan, it's not according to his thoughts. But lots of human activity will be generated when we are thinking without trusting, which means we're scheming. Where they're they're scheming, there's lots of activity. And then verse 2 finishes. And Abram, then, upon hearing this advice and this plan that Sarah hatched, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. All through the scriptures, there's this call to listen to the voice of God, to hear his voice, the small, still voice. It's not in the rumblings, it's not in the shakings, it's not in the 
thunderstorms or the earthquakes. It's the still small voice. Listen. Abraham is listening right now. He's just listening to the wrong voice, right? When we start scheming, there becomes a lot of human voices, and then we start listening to those human voices. But the question lingers here, how about the one who actually gave the promise? How about the one who has the power to accomplish things that are higher than us and beyond us? What's he saying? Faith listens to the voice of God. Scheming listens to the voice of people. We're listening to the voice of people exclusively. Now, verse 3. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And what we have here, you guys remember middle school? Remember the middle school matchmaker? It's that person in middle school who's like always knows, always knows who likes who and who may be interested in who. And they're always scheming and trying to set people up. Hey, did you hear that so-and-so likes so-and-so? Hey, do you know that that person thinks that you're really cool and they like to hang out with you? They're meddling in human affairs, trying to matchmake and set things up. A lot of scheming going on in a middle school matchmaker. Sarah is taking on now the identity of a middle school matchmaker. And she's meddling in affairs here. Verse 4. And he, Abram, went into Hagar, and she conceived. To which we say, success! Woo! Right? Plans working. It's happening. Right? Just how Sarah drew it up, it's fulfilled. It's happening. Now we got a child on the scene. We might be tempted to call this success. But let's be clear here. There's a difference between success in God's economy and a human-induced success. What we have right here is a human-induced success. And from here we have to ask the question, what fruit will come over time through this thing that is human-induced that appears to be a success? What fruit will come and be born and last? Right? We've got the job done now. Seemingly we should congratulate Sarah for such a great scheme that she devised. But really, we haven't asked the question yet, what is the real net result of all of this activity? Right? And now we're going to start getting into it a little bit. Here's what we got because of Sarah's activity. Her meddling, thinking but not trusting activity. Here we go. Verse 4 again. He went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she, Sarah, sorry, when she, Hagar, the maidservant who's pregnant, saw that she had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarah. And we have relational breakdown number one. Hagar looking at contempt upon her mistress. Relational breakdown number one. I call it number one because we're just getting started. We're just on the tip of the iceberg, right? We're just starting the race of dysfunction that's about to go down here. Then verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. Anybody into current events in the house? Anybody like watch geopolitical news? You know the group Hamas? It's a militant uh, Islamic group that operates in and around the Middle East, Near East. Um, the, word, the, the, the word that actually Sarah says here, may the wrong done to me, that, that word in the Hebrew is Hamas. It means violence, 
right? Hamas is a violent group that enacts violence anywhere they can, right? Sarah says, Abram, may the Hamas done to me, may the violence that has been done to me be upon you, right? This is not a marital tiff. This, this is a war. We're talking violence and oppression here. That's how Sarah is viewing this circumstance regarding what's been done to her. Then she says, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. Then she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. Sister Sarah is angry here. She's mad. And who's she mad at? She's mad at her husband. But wait a second, Sarah. You're the schemer. Now, granted, Abram listened to your voice. He wasn't listening to the voice of the Lord. He was listening to you. But this is your devising here, right? just want to say blessings on the Christian counselor that will have to talk to Sarah and say, Sarah, actually, I don't think you're seeing this situation right, right? Blessings on that counselor. I don't think that meeting's going to go very well. But the point here is now we got tension between Hagar and Sarah. Now we got tension between Sarah and her husband, Abram. We got tension multiplying all over the place. And we're not done yet. Verse 6. And, uh, but Abram said to Sarai, right? Picture the strong, solid, faithful oak of righteousness here that Abram is. Just kidding. Look at Abram's response. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Not my fault. I'm out of this, right? Abram's going to run and duck for cover here. Behold, your servant is in your power. Do with her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly, oppressively. Word, oppressive. Then Sarah dealt oppressively with her, and Hagar fled from her. Now, Sarah becomes the domineering, right? Remember Egypt and the Israelites and the oppression of Pharaoh over his people? We don't like that. Well, Sarah herself is now the oppressive agent who's beating down her mistress, who it's just horrible. Here's the point here, friends. So much is happening here in Genesis 16. So much activity, and none of it is from God. None of it. All right, I get in groups sometimes, and people say, I just don't understand why God is allowing this, and why is God doing that, and why is God letting that happen in my life, and why is God doing this? I just feel like I have to make the point all the time. So much of the, all of the difficulty in our lives is not from Him. It's, it's human-induced suffering and difficulty and trauma and struggle because we start thinking without trusting and then we start doing and the doing doesn't often result in good things and actually as the timeline moves on and we have a nation of people coming through ishmael hagar's child and through isaac the final child of the promise that will come right it's they're in conflict for the rest of their days nothing good comes out of this as Abraham and Sarah, exit faith and enter do on your own. As they exit God's thoughts in God's ways that are pretty high, and they enter their own thoughts in their own ways, which are significantly less. What is God doing here? In the 25-year gap between calling an elderly couple to bear children, and then 25 years later when they're as good as dead actually giving the promise of Isaac in the flesh. What is God 
doing. Here's what I think he's doing. I think he is seeking to create a culture in his people. That from the foundation stone that is laid and everything that gets built on top of that, that God would create a people who trust him. Not the scheming, independent, clever ones. They always got an answer and they're always right. That's not the kind of people that God is trying to produce. He's trying to produce a people who are the faith-filled ones who see him and who trust him and who follow him. And so from the very beginning with Abraham and Sarah, God is seeking to set the compass. And the compass is in a faith word direction. And how do you set the compass? Well, it might be by doing something like this. Calling an elderly couple saying, you're going to have a nation of people to come through you. Waiting 25 years for the fulfillment, right? And then for the rest of time, your people, your nation that are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore point back and say, this is the people we are. It's from our very founding. It's from day one. It's from the first step of the race. We are the trusting ones who trust the ones whose thoughts are higher than ours and whose ways are higher than ours. We trust him. We plug into his power because we don't got this. We don't got it. Everything he calls us to that is his idea is beyond us. And so we're going to have to plug into him to receive his power to actually walk in and to do the things that he has put in front of us to do. We must ascend to a higher plane where he is thinking and where he is devising and the way for us to ascend to that place is simply to trust him to have faith god we are not orphans here you have not abandoned us you have given us promises they have not all been fulfilled yet but i know that you are good and you stand on your word and your word is strong so i will listen to your word listen to your voice And I will be careful who are the voices that I listen to down here. Some of them are very good operating in wisdom and faith, but not all are. Many schemers, many divisors, many thinkers without trusting him and actually following him closely. Band, come on back up. As they come up, just want to say this. I was actually nervous to teach this. Sometimes I just want to be candid with you. I was afraid because I know we live in a difficult culture where things get weird. It's a weird time. My fear was, is that we talked about Sarah. She's the first woman that we've talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And that there would be some in the house that would run with this narrative. Oh, Pastor Brian took the one woman that we just talked about in Pastor 11 and threw her under the bus. Clearly, Pastor Brian doesn't like women. Okay? I just want to be candid with you. I had that fear a little bit this week. And I still went in this direction. Why? Well, because it's the truth. And I think there's a lot we can learn from this. And Abraham, the man, is right there with her. It's not just her. But, here, but here's, the, here's the cool thing, right? God, in his grace, keeps working on Sarah as he keeps working on us. Oftentimes, we exit faith and we enter scheming. We exit God's thoughts and God's way and we enter our own. That's not just a Sarah thing. That's an all of us thing. That's not just a female thing. That's a male-female thing. That's all of us. Okay, I just want to be very clear on that. But in his grace, he keeps working on them and he brings them back. He forgives them. He covers them. He washes them of the whole devious scheming thing where they disconnected and didn't trust him he washes them clean and then he continues to walk them forward into a posture of faith 
and trust me. No, I know you messed up, but keep trusting me. I'm with you. I love you. Keep trusting me. And then 25 years after the promise, he does give the fulfillment. And Isaac comes and the family grows and it moves on. And they become numerous people. And out of this family, Jesus would come and Jesus would rise on the scene. Literally, he would rise on the scene and say, trust me. It's always been about trusting me. Trust me. You've messed up too, right? But I'm here, and I'm here to cover you and to wash you. What do you got to do to receive that? You just got to trust. That doesn't seem like enough. Well, no, it's quite a bit, and it's been that way from the beginning. That's who we are as his people. We are the trusting, believing, faith-filled ones. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. And our invitation is to follow him in that way. Father in heaven, make us a faith-filled people because we see you and we listen to you. Protect us from thinking without trusting, which becomes scheming, which ruins so many things. Father, we just want to be close to you. We want to be plugged into you. We want to receive from you all that you have for us so that we can walk in your higher ways and in your higher thoughts. Make us this kind of people, we pray in Jesus' name.